0: All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, ears? This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. It's my show. Uh, I host it in my garage in Highland Park, California, here at the Cat Ranch. Uh, there are several cats around right now. Scaredy cat, wild cat, been feeding for a decade, just finished up eating and not talking to me. As usual, not having anything to do with me. After 10 fucking years of feeding that guy, you'd think maybe a, yeah, come on over, touch me a little bit. Just a little touch on the head, be nice, nothing. Let me uh, say hello to my friends across the pond and tell them that uh, I will be in Dublin September 2nd at Vicker Street. Uh, Tickets are available if you go to wtfpod.com slash calendar, there's a link there for you. Uh, September 3rd and 4th, I will be at uh, Queen Elizabeth Hall in london england again a link at wtfpod.com slash calendar uh and those are the only gigs coming up because i finished up the marination tour uh this last weekend in denver and in boulder amazing shows me and Del Rey, dean Del Rey. boulder sold out it was uh, tremendous what a great place that was we did the uh, boulder theater we had a great time and on uh, saturday night we did the paramount in denver sold about thirteen fifty not bad for a, a guy who was me filled it out pretty nicely had a great show great time i like denver a lot i'm back home and now august is looking pretty empty and i have to go back and i got to start generating again i guess i have to go back to the drawing board i've recorded this hour and a half chunk of material to get about an hour i believe for a, a epic special that will be on in um December on epics called uh, more later. So I just looked at the director's cut for that, that Bobcat Goldthwait directed and it looks great. I'm very happy with it. I'm very happy with things, but the fact is I've just done an hour and a half that I've been doing for about six months to a year. And uh, it's, it might be time to let it go as it goes. It's a weird thing about doing standup these days. You got to turn over these hours and I'm not sure. I always get to this point where I don't know what the fuck, I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna do next. Where does the material come from? So maybe in August, I'm gonna go out and do something exciting and compelling that'll generate at least an hour's material. And I think that might be jury duty. Because apparently I'm the only asshole that responds to those things when they come in the mail. Everyone I've talked to, they're like, why'd you open the envelope? because it's my duty as a citizen of the United States of America to be on a jury of my peers or whoever shows up and and, and judge uh, the, the problem at hand, the legal issue at hand. It's my responsibility. I've I've called that before and it, it didn't happen. I've been told that it might not happen because of my mid-level celebrity status. They might not want me, knowing that I was, uh, back in the day, perhaps a lefty political Spokesperson of sorts, or perhaps because I have a TV show, or I appear to be cranky and, and a, a, a little bit angered, or perhaps because I get on the mic every twice a week and talk to you and talk to uh, people in here. I don't know, but there's part of me that kind of wants to be on a jury. I know it can't be like the TV show. I know it's not going to be like Twelve Angry Men, but maybe it will be. Who will I be? Will I be the Will I be the uh, Henry Fonda of the Twelve Angry Men, or will I or will I be the Jack Warden? Perhaps. Come on. Let's just get it. Let's get it over with. What or will I be the Lee J Cobb? He's guilty. He's guilty. I'm starting to think that, that all my impressions of men sound roughly the same. Slightly gravelly voice with a bit more intensity behind them, a bit more anger. If I'm excited about jury duty or the possibility of jury duty, I definitely have to engage on some other level in my life. I've been thinking about maybe doing some service work, doing something to get me out in the world where I feel like I help people on a day-to-day basis, not just talk. I know the talk helps people. I had a very touching moment in Denver. A kid came up to me, said he read both my books several times and it helped him get a year's worth of uh, sobriety. Who's in a year outpatient program and uh, he's doing well. And that shit just, you know, it, it breaks my heart and makes me feel good that, that what I'm doing or how much of myself I'm putting out there makes a difference to people and helps people. I know that to be true and, and, uh, and I'm very grateful that I have that effect. But, you know, again, if I'm excited for jury duty, there's something missing. Because I had this moment where you're going to have some version of this moment when you reach a certain age, where he, me and Dean, we out, we're in Denver, we're having a good time. We go to this place called uh, Black and Red Records. It's one, of, it's one of these old school places. They have books, they have records, they have games. There's stacks of shit all over the place. There's thousands of things, t-shirts, posters, classic place. And we had a really good time. I usually get overwhelmed and I can't go through record bins forever. But this place had records that I'd never seen before. Old records I'd never seen before. So we both spend some money. They're going to ship us our records. Then we go to another place, and this is where the moment happens. We go to Wax Tracks in Denver, another great kind of old, dirty record store. It's got a lot of shit. I get into this conversation with Dean. I found an Earl Swick record. I'm like, I know that name, guitar player, right? Who'd he play with? And Dean goes, I think he was in Bowie's last band, right? And I'm like, I don't think so. And then some dude who I look at, and he's like, a little taller than me. He's got a beard but it just seemed to be another version of me or the surface of me or the me that interfaces with records at a record store, the me that does that for fun. Is it just another version of that? And he goes, yeah, it was, he was in Bowie's band. And I, like, I felt a little put off at first, but I'm glad that he knew. And then I look around the store, there's no less than four or five dudes look exactly like me, different version, slight variations, all approaching 50 or in their 50s or in their 40s. Just poking around in record bins, looking to connect with some part of themselves that that had to do that because we had no choice. This is poking around in record bins because that's how we travel. That's how we time travel. That's how we go back. So this is like some fairly common midwife event, poking around in record bins, looking for something that worked back when we were younger or maybe get that same feeling we got when we were younger. Maybe a better feeling, maybe something elevated, something defining. I don't know. I don't know what we're looking for in those record bins, but I know there's no fucking end to it. And then I saw this dude talking to his eight-year-old, maybe not, probably six-year-old daughter. I just—I was, was at a bin, and he was down a few bins from me, and he's got the Some Girls record, the Rolling Stones record out, and he's trying to explain to this six-year-old girl why the covers are different. He told, you know, the whole story is that before they had all the faces, Lucille Ball, I think Marilyn Monroe, a bunch of women's faces in the slide out, but they had to take them off because they didn't get rights to those faces. So I just see this father saying, Lucille Ball, they didn't pay her or ask her if they could use her face. And I was just thinking, like, w- w- how much of that little girl is picking that stuff at Lucille Ball or even making sense of it all? Maybe she's a bright little girl. But still, th- there was something endearing but a little <laughs> a little weird about it. Because when Dean and I are leaving, he's got her over at the listening station. This little girl's got the headphones on. And I just see her standing there next to her dad. And she's holding the Sergeant Pepper's cover. And listen, and he goes, I'm trying to get her started on the good stuff. And I, you know, part of me was, I, well, I actually said, I said, well, we'll try to keep her out of the rabbit hole that we're in because I don't think there's any end to it. And he laughed, and I noticed that he had a, a crate of about 30 or 40 records. So I guess his desperation to connect with whatever we lost was a little more intense than mine. And he's got a kid. So maybe that's not the answer. Jason Siegel is on the show today. I'm a big fan of Jason Siegel's. I've been wanting to talk to him for a long time. Uh, I think he seems like a sweet guy. I feel like we we have some things in common. I don't know. That might just be a Jewish thing that I projected onto to him. I still have that thing in my mind where I can identify and connect with almost uh, any Jew of my ilk. And it, clearly I can connect with other people, but it's a weird thing. But uh, I just I just like the guy, and he's in a great movie that I just watched, a very interesting independent movie called The End of the Tour, and uh, it's about David Foster Wallace. It's about this uh, this writer who wrote an article on him, played by Jesse Eisenberg. The guy's name is David Lipsky, and it's a very subtle. Uh, kind of bizarre movie, but Jason does a great job, and it's, uh, it's an interesting role from him. You, many of you know him from his movies, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, the uh, This Is 40, uh, the um, Muppet movie. You know him from uh, How I Met Your Mother. You, you know him. He's very funny. He's got a great way about him, and I was excited to talk to him, and we had a good talk, and that's going to happen in your head shortly. I was just in Hawaii last week. Very exciting. I was flown out to do a scene in a movie. It's called Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, I believe is the name of the movie. I I was asked to do it by the director. And they flew me down for the day. Luxurious. Very exciting. To fly down to Honolulu, which I've never been to for a day's work, where I played a bar owner and I did a scene with Zac Efron and Adam Devine. And uh, I've not done that many movies and it was, it's the opening scene of the movie, if all goes well, but we don't know. I don't know. I don't know where. We did some riffing. It was fun. I had a good time for the day. I wore some, someone else's clothes, and I stayed at a hotel where they had dolphins in a pool. So we'll see how that goes. I got nothing to complain about, folks. I'm just, uh, you know, it just starts up again. It's time to sort of, where am I at? What am I doing? How do I create? How do I find some space for myself to think i'm tired of fucking twitter i'm tired of i'm try i'm tired of engaging so onward we go thank you all for being there right now let's talk to jason siegel you look like you just got a haircut
1: yeah, I got a summertime haircut. Did you go to the razor place? I went to, no, I went to my local little uh, little barber and I embarrassingly showed them a picture of David Beckham. You did?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I said, give me the Beckham. You hat. want the Beckham? I wanted the Beckham. I think you're a little late on the Beckham, aren't you? Oh, totally. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I caught it. When it's totally unhip. Yeah. Wait. So you you moved to Los Feliz? Uh, yeah. So did you go to like Sweeney Todd or who'd you go to? No. You know
1: what? I um I have a place up near Santa Barbara. Oh um, really? Yeah. A little small town. So I uh, I went over there.
0: Is it like one of those old timey barber shops or is it just like a, no, a it's, hairstyle? Salon? It's just a, it's a salon. Oh, Okay. Yeah. All right. yeah. Fine. But you you're native here, right? Yeah. Did I grew help? up I grew up in the Palisades.
1: Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it was a nice way to grow up. I don't know if I've ever really spent any time there. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it on television. There's not totally a reason to spend time there.
0: But it's like it's just all the way west. Big, yeah. you know, I went to Joan Rivers' daughter's house to do the her show. Yeah. Did you ever do that in bed with Joan's show? No. You got it. you just wait. You sat there on her bed with Joan Rivers Wow. she interviewed you. How did that go? It was fine. Yeah, she's a dirty old lady. Right, yeah, she was totally. amazing. She'd talk
1: about anything. Yeah, she'd throw anybody under the bus. Yeah, I've done that, but never um, on radio or anything. <laughs> <laughs> just
0: gone to someone's house and interviewed on their yeah, bed. Yeah, just
1: dirty old ladies talking. What was your family like? I mean, what you grew up in the Palisades? That's nice. Yeah, it's nice. I have um, I have an older brother, kid sister. You do?
0: You have an older brother?
1: Yeah, I have an older brother named Adam. He's the best. He was my idol growing up. Really? And yeah. you have a little sister? Yeah. And you're all like, you grew up Jewish? Uh, Well, it's interesting you ask. My father is Jewish. My mother is Christian. Yeah. So I grew up going to a school called St. Matthew's during the day, and then I would walk to Hebrew school at night.
0: So they wanted you to do both, but your mom didn't want to convert, but your dad wanted to have some Jew in you.
1: You know what? Neither of them are religious. Sure. So they made this decision that they were going to let me decide, Yeah. which is like the... It's the dumbest thing you can do for a kid right, right. you don't really care. Yeah. Why would you do anything unless there's something in it for you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, and I just remember, uh, when I, this is when you become funny. Like yeah. You, you know. Um, when I was like uh, 13, it was time for my bar mitzvah. Right. So I invited all the kids from the Christian school. Yeah. And uh, then the, the headmaster came up and he said- you know, everyone is very excited about your big party, but the kids don't really know what a bar mitzvah is. Would you stand up in front of the school at communion? Jew. Yeah, and explain what a bar mitzvah is. So then you cut to the next day, little 13-year-old Jason Siegel standing there like, on Saturday, I become a man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's literally a direct cut to getting punched in the face. I mean, it's not what, how you want to do it. it what You got flack? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They didn't... I, I was like a, an odd kid growing up in general. Yeah? I, yeah. Long hair. I've been 6'4 since I was like 12. Oh, so you're like the awkward kid. I awkward, sensitive totally awkward. kid. awkward. Yeah. I'm not comfortable? No. Completely uncomfortable. And then, actually, it's how I got started. My parents put me into acting class. Not for acting, but because I was very shy. Therapeutic. Yeah. They thought maybe you'll meet some other weird kids. Right. And I totally did. And... There was this thing that they said you have Fozzie Bear on your wall. Yeah, uh, that someone drew that of me interviewing Fozzie, but
0: I can't do anything with it because it's copyrighted. So that oh, couldn't even be published. But the artist sent it to me. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, there was. A, I was so I was a big Muppet Show fan, and there is a line in one of the Muppet movies where uh, someone says, "A bunch of weirdos make a family." Yeah, and that's what I felt like when I went to acting class. Like, oh, okay, no one is making fun of me here. Let's let's do this. Right, the theater nerds kind of totally. And who was acting class was it? What, it was uh, it was a place called the Santa Monica Playhouse.
0: Yeah. Was there? Who else was there? Anyone else in your class that went on to do things? Um, I don't feel like I'd someone mentioned that before.
1: Yeah, a lot of people went through there, but but nobody really that I can that I can think of. Because um, I had um, Martin Starr in here. Yeah.
0: And he started young. Yep. Yeah, but he and did. he grew up in Santa Monica, I think.
1: Yeah, and I would imagine for similar reasons, like Martin is a. Uh, Mart- yeah, Martin is a really interesting, different, unique sensitive kind of guy. dude. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So that's when it started. So you're how old were you? I was uh, I was probably about ten years old, eleven years
0: old. So before the bar mitzvah. So by the yeah. time you had the the big break explaining what a bar mitzvah <laughs> was, yeah, yeah, a little a little stage time. I was scared belt. to get up in front of the crowd, but I, then I was scared when they beat me up. <laughs> but it's weird too, as a Jew or as a you know being brought up Jewish, it's, you don't necessarily know exactly. You know, you know, you're just becoming a man. Yeah. But you know, then
1: you got to explain the ritual. And did you do the whole thing? Like, like I have to read from the Torah. Yeah. Oh wow. I did the whole thing, but I viewed it like a performance. I went up and like really made a show of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I. Uh, I was dressing really weird at the time, and uh, I wore uh, like a purple suit and mustard pants. Mustard pants? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I like mustard. I had mustard pants. You
0: did? Yeah. I did recently. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had mustard corduroys. I was very attached to them. Yeah,
1: yeah. You don't see corduroys too often. work? Yeah, they yeah. looped
0: back around mustard pants. Yeah, yeah. I, I always liked that color. So, so they all looked at you like an oddball.
1: Yeah, I, I think. I think at that point you just make a decision, um, especially you know. Also, at at Christian school, you're the Jewish kid, and at Hebrew school, you're the Christian kid. I think that's the nature of groups. You're you not know? a real Jew. Yeah, Is you're your mom just, Jewish? No, and, you're not real Jew. Right, and so everyone wants to compartmentalize people. And yeah. I think I decided at that point, like, okay, it's just it's me versus the world, kind right. of. Yeah, you yeah, know?
0: yeah. And you saw you saw some uh, comfort in the acting glass and and in Muppets yeah yeah totally because that's like you know who was I talking to Judd I guess and uh you just you you have this reverence for the Muppets yeah
1: to the point where you're like we need to make a new Muppet movie I mean you made that happen yeah well I I, I cared a lot about it and and I helped make it happen I think that I think that what always well how like, does well, it unfold? Okay. I, I I wrote a movie called Forgetting Sarah Marshall.
0: Yeah. I like that movie. I oh, think thanks, me. man. And uh I saw you naked in that movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally.
0: Interesting decision.
1: <laughs> thanks. <laughs> well, <laughs> at the time it was like a very new decision. I feel like now it like no one bats an eye, but um I thought Well, I you know, there's actually a reason. It's the same reason that I was gonna get to okay, about go the ahead. puppets is that uh, the thing about a romantic comedy, I think, is that you know what's going to happen. Like the guy on the poster is going to end up with the girl on the poster. Right. And some people can take pleasure in that journey, but like uh, a lot of men, for instance, kind of roll their eyes at it. It's just not an interesting thing. So I thought that if you opened a movie where main guy is naked in the first scene basically you're kind of forced to to uh, let go of any expectations like i don't know what's gonna happen <laughs> you know so, yeah. <laughs> so then the challenge is how do you end a movie like that when you know they're gonna end up together and i've been obsessed with the muppets and i said to judd like what if we end this with a lavish puppet musical and he literally looked at me and said, "It's your movie, man <laughs> and, uh, yeah and and we did, and i I love it. It's like one of my favorite things that I've ever managed to trick people into doing, and from there, you know, like something goes well, and then you have a little bit of juice, yeah and so people were asking, What are you going to do next and i said i'd like to um I'd like to bring back the muppets and um and everyone said, you're you're crazy. What, why? This is a totally different thing than yeah. what we like you doing. But I just, uh, I went in and I pitched it to Disney and they said, okay. And then I set off doing that. And you wrote it. I wrote it. Yeah. I wrote it with uh, my friend, Nick Stoller. Who I know Nick Stoller. Oh yeah. He's the He best. was in here. He was? Yeah. Yeah. He's the best dude. Yeah, you guys—it uh, makes sense. Couple of you're sweet guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a nice guy. He's, he's a, a good really friend nice of yours. Guy. Yeah, he directed Forgetting Sarah Marshall. That's right. Yeah, we did. A, a, he wrote Muppets with me, and we did a movie called Five Year Engagement together. So we worked a lot together.
0: But the Muppet thing was just off the. Uh, it was just out of a childhood love of the Muppets.
1: Yeah, it was. It was that, and also um, there hadn't been one in a while. It hadn't right? been one in a long time, and I felt like one of the things the Muppets did that was really unique and special is they never uh, made fun of people. They never, um, got laughs at other people's expense. Right. um, I just thought that that combined with this idea that they're so strange. Um, was a really neat thing like they're so
0: strange because they're puppets
1: no because they're you know they're a frog and a bear and gonzos or whatever and they all kind of come together and i felt like uh you can catch a kid at a certain age and instill this idea that uh it's okay whatever you are is okay right and like in in today I don't know I I think a lot about this stuff but in today's world like there's so much shaming and everything's either a major win or a total fail on the internet right right that uh, some voice saying it's okay yeah uh, was
0: important and it was important to you yeah when you were a kid because you felt out of place yeah I think so oh that's wild man so when did you like if you started taking those acting classes at 10 or 11 yeah when did it become a real thing?
1: What What does your brother do, by the way? Uh, so my brother is a money manager. Uh, oh, okay. You know, investment banker type uh-huh, thing. Uh-huh. Um, really smart, uh, real alpha male. He was like a great athlete in high school. I uh, oh, yeah. really wanted to be just like him, and so I I like delved into basketball. And became a pretty good basketball player Okay, uh, in high school. Yeah. And I, I won the state championship and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you play now? Um, no, I haven't played in a long time. I'd like to start playing again. You don't just go shoot? No, but I'm going to start. I'm going to start. Fellas.
0: Yeah, no. Channeling used to have a game back in the day.
1: Yeah, I heard that. There's yeah. a lot of guys who have games. I haven't been invited to those, but I w- I'll, I'll go. Well, maybe I'd have put it out there. Yeah, like, put it out there. I'd love yeah, to play some yeah. basketball with some some dudes. <laughs> do you do you do that? Do you socialize much? Yeah, I'm getting much better about it. I'm making a like a concerted effort to socialize. You have to, more. right? Yeah, totally. I
0: like I don't like I, I just realized that recently. It's like no one's just gonna, you know, call you up.
1: Yeah. And like, unless you're sort of like, I'm available to do things. You know, it's interesting. This is a tangent, but yeah. I feel as though the same impulses and nature that like got me to where I got to ended up kind of turning on me at some point where i'm just like I was really driven uh, and I had this idea that the only way you're going to make it is if you just make it happen and work your ass off and so uh, at night I would go home and write and I would watch comedy and study it and watch acting and think about it and this and that, and then at some point like. You know, you have this idea of, I, I need to get there. Right. But then you find out there keeps moving. Right. And so, if you if, if your impulse is, I need to get there, that's never going to go away. And exactly. So, yeah, it's been the past few years when I've realized, like, oh, you're good. Like, everything's everything's going great, and let's focus on life stuff. It's, that's, it, well, that's interesting. How old are you? 35. Well, yeah, so you it's good timing. Yeah. You haven't fucked it all away. No, <laughs> thank God. No, I mean it's really true, man. I have like, if I'm lucky, I got 50 years left. Sure, man. Of good times. Like you
0: know, if you can like, if you can hang on to this uh, this this new attitude, you'd be you might enjoy life.
1: Yeah, and I also have like a hunch that uh, we might be the first generation that gets an extra 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Like science might science might so help us out. You're going go to go to a hundred. Yeah, maybe I'll, <laughs> maybe I'll go to a hundred. <laughs> Let me just—the the basic question is how the genetics. How 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 did how did grandma and grandpa do? Age wise, they did well. Also, my my uh, my father, who is uh, the best guy in the world, but you know he's like a five foot ten short squat Jewish guy, married like a beautiful five foot 11 irish woman okay and i got those genetics oh oh, you did it seems that way oh good
0: good so that's that's great
1: so all right well so you're 10 or 11 and your sister they all live in town still uh my brother lives in boston um he just bought a place in in like central coast Uh, and my sister lives in la yeah
0: Oh, so everyone's here. Everyone's do you do here. dinners and
1: shit? Yeah, 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 yeah. We get along much better now than we did like uh, in in my twenties. Oh yeah, yeah. I think you know sibling relationships are tricky, yeah. and then you arrive at some. It's the same. It's the same thing that happened with uh, my my feelings about my parents. At some point, you realize that everybody is just doing their best. I they are, but it's hard to accept, isn't it? Yeah, but especially the, with parents. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, when when. It seems like so uh, obvious, but at some point I realized my parents were strangers who met each other. Right. That they weren't this unit that had been there from the beginning of time. And they were
0: just young people with their own insecurities and their own weirdness.
1: Met each other, doing their best, trying to figure out how to do it. Everybody's just guessing. And they're still together. Yeah, they're still together. That's a miracle. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah, it doesn't happen to most people. Yeah, yeah. That's what I hear. And and what's your sister do? My sister's a writer as well. She's really, really funny. Oh, really? She's a comedy writer? Yeah. Has she done movies? No, she hasn't done movies yet. She's written articles and, uh, oh. and blogs and things like that, and she's writing screenplays now.
0: Ah, yeah. I, I hope she can get those read. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: it totally. Yeah, it's gonna be. In, yeah, I don't know if she's gonna have a, a, a an avenue to get her stuff out there. <laughs> yeah, like that
1: day's coming, buddy. I I think that um, I grow more and more aware how lucky I was to meet Judd Apatow. Sure. Yeah, he's uh, he's
0: he's kind of something else, you know. Like I don't know where he finds all the time, and and also a very giving and sweet dude on top of having a million things going on. He
1: changed my life.
0: You well, know? yeah, well, so let's go back to that. So you're yeah. you're you're doing acting, and you've studied at yeah. ten or eleven
1: years old. So at this point, I'm playing basketball in high school, and I saw in school that I have um, like a very good memory, very, like a right, you know, short term can can memorize stuff, and. I was doing a little bit of acting, but I was focused on sports and I decided that, uh, I would read this play for no reason. Um, I read this play called the zoo story.
0: Yeah. Edward Albee. Yeah, that's right.
1: And there was like a, there was like a 20 page monologue in it. Yeah. And I thought, I'd like to see if I can memorize this. That was really my thinking at the time. Right. And so I, uh, I asked the, the head of the theater department, Ted Walsh, uh, do you mind if I try putting on this play?
0: And this is in Palisades, the high school? This is or at the... Harvard
1: Westlake in the Valley. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he said, yeah, sure. You know, you can use the small theater to do two nights. And so I put it on and... This is some real L.A. stuff, but there was a woman who came to see the show who turned out to be president of casting at Paramount Pictures. Right. And like a week later, my parents sat me down and they said, listen, we need to talk. We've been talking to this lady all week. And if you want, um, she thinks that you might have a feature in acting. So uh, you have a big decision to make. So this was a
0: fluke. Like yeah. you decide you want to try to memorize this thing, and the Zoo Story, as I recall, is a lot of monologues, right?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a, a guy and uh, on a park bench, and another guy walks up, and it's just a, it's two people talking. She went out. She reached out to your parents because you're what? Fifteen? Uh, I was sixteen okay. at the time. Yeah, I reached out to my parents, and I decided, uh, yeah, I'll give it a try. And so my senior year, I just started auditioning. And I did a couple like teen movies. One movie called Dead Man on Campus, like some like kind of dumb teen stuff. Yeah. And then I did a little independent movie called SLC Punk. Uh-huh. It was the first kind of acting that I. Did. What was that movie? I don't know that. Movie. It was about. I, but that's not. Unusual. It was a little niche movie about um, punk music in Salt Lake City uh-huh. in the eighties. Uh huh. And um, and then this script came across. It was then was my first pilot season. Right. And. A script came across my desk called uh, "Freaks and Geeks," right? And I immediately thought, "No way! This is, sounds like a Nickelodeon show." Right? And they were like, "No, this is a, this guy's Judd Apatow, and uh, he had done Larry Sanders Show at that point, but right. he wasn't he wasn't Judd yet." Yeah, you know, in Paul Feig, right? And Paul Feig, yeah. yeah. And and they said, "No, you should go in for this." And so I went in, and it was my first uh, time improving. And who do you put you with? Was it one on one or it, was he? It was moving? me and the casting director. Um but I think I had the naivety of youth. Like yeah. I just thought, okay, I'll go do this. Right. And I I'm pretty smart, you know, yeah, yeah. and whatever. So I did the I did the, the thing and then and then next thing I knew, my like my life changed. We yeah. started doing Freaks and Geeks and I was surrounded by, it was just like my first acting class and just like the Muppets, a bunch of weirdos make a family. There's no better place than Freaks and Geeks right. for it to feel that way. Again. Yeah, yeah. And then we were just in it, man. And and then at one point Judd took me aside, me and Seth Rogen and and, and all of us, I'm sure. But And he said, if you can improv the way you can, then you can write. Uh-huh. That's what writing is. You're just going to do it in a more focused, like deliberate way. And he literally taught me how to write. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can't imagine the, the relationship that people have
0: with freaks and geeks. And yeah. as and there was there's only what 18 of them. Yeah. Right? Is it's pretty profound. Like I came to it much later. I mean, there were yeah. people that that grew up with it, but I'm I'm old. I'm 51, so I sort of missed it. So I had my first experience with it within the last you know five or six years. Sure, I watched the whole thing. Oh, cool. And it's it's interesting because you know knowing all of you guys as actors established watching that, I'm like, oh, look at the kids. They're so,
1: I know so sweet. Yeah, it was. I think that one of the reasons people connect to it is. Um, Everybody has this sense, no matter how good they are at faking it, that they are like different than their than their peers, you know, yeah, and that show is really about that, right. Um yeah, it was really special. Everybody was kind of like digging deep into what it feels like not to feel uh, comfortable yeah and uh, and do you,
0: you know outside of like Seth, because I have this weird thing that keeps getting shattered every time I have people who were in like important ensemble. Uh, uh, shows or movies that they just always stay in touch. Like, I like when I see people in movies, I'm like, you must talk to that guy still. You guys are you know buddies on the screen,
1: yeah. Well, I think that we do talk, uh, you know, less as you get older and people right. have their own lives and, and things like that. But, um, Seth and I wrote together for a long time, and um, you know, we always send each other emails wishing each other well, and same with a, a lot of the other people in the cast. But yeah, I think you grow apart by nature of time, sure.
0: It's interesting where people show up. You know, over time, like to see, uh, what what's her name in Mad Men? Uh, yeah. What, what's her name? Linda. Again? Yeah. I mean, it was like, hey, there she is. Yeah. She's in you and, and like, I obviously, I have limited experience in show business, but as somebody who watches
1: shows, there's that moment where you're like, oh, she's working. That's great. Yeah. Well, I think that there's also, um, <laughs> When Freaks and Geese got canceled after the first year, you're so young yeah. that you have this idea that that's how it always goes. Right. So you're kind of like, all right, well, I'm on to the next uh, groundbreaking show, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get some time. Like I, I plunged right into three years of being out of work, and so then, really, uh, yeah, that's when I started writing. I was, all, I was all of a sudden at this age where. So, you were like what, 17, 18? no, at that point, I was like 20 to 23. That age, I, I had no work. So, okay, so you were going to be an actor and yeah. you were an actor. And I didn't go to college. Right. You know, in order to act. Right. And then all of a sudden, I was now like too old to play a kid anymore and too young to be like the doctor. Right. And Martin had that.
0: He had this similar situation yeah. where things just, you know, changed and he had to reevaluate.
1: Yeah. And that's when Judd said. Uh, the only way you're going to make it is if you start writing your own material, you know, like kind of the Albert Brooks model where, right. you know, no one's banging down your door to be like the romantic lead in something y- Yeah. 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 Hey, yeah. Yeah. You know, so you better do it. And, and I just started writing. what did you start writing? First thing I wrote was a script called, uh, it was called at the time nightmares beware, which I've now turned into a series of kids books that are out called nightmares. Yeah. 10 years later. Um, and then i will how are they selling yeah they did pretty good I don't really it's not my main job so I don't follow it with that kind of eye right, and right. It, it wasn't of, you were just doing it because you wanted to yeah it right. made the best seller list but oh, I don't it. know what that means I don't know if that's yeah, yeah. a thousand books or a hundred books or I don't know what it is I think it's well how long did you publish them um, last the, the first one came out in September the next one comes out this oh, September oh well, you'll find out yeah they'll
0: send you the weird little things where, like when you do a book well it sounds like it did alright but a lot of times when you get a deal to do a book yeah and then you know after. They, you get these quarterly things that basically you know show how many you've sold against your deal. So for a decade, oh, yeah. I've just gotten—I yeah, I still owe them money. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, totally. Is there a way to work it off? <laughs> well, they, it's just—it's just the way they frame it. You don't have to give your money back yeah. or anything, but they—you know—they show you just how many units you've sold and, and what it is compared to what they gave you. Yeah, and it's—it's it's never. Well, for me, it wasn't necessarily encouraging, but people got the book.
1: Yeah, I'd like to kind of even it up if I owe them money with like some one-man shows or I can appear at a dinner party Right?
0: maybe it's selling. it might be selling great
1: yeah no I think it did well I think it did well I have a framed yeah. New York Times bestseller list thing That's but, beautiful yeah but you know that wasn't really the that wasn't really why but, I did it but and that so, was the first screenplay that was the first screenplay and then the next what was the. what was the pitch what was the angle it's about uh, a kid who's, it's like role doll style. It's about a kid whose mother passes away, and when his dad gets remarried, he starts having terrible nightmares and uh, about witches. And so one night, he and his friends have to uh, journey into the nightmare world, each yeah. face their biggest fear, in order to rescue the kid's brother. Huh? Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's yeah, cool. It, it makes sense that it
0: would be a good kid's book. Yeah. So it's for ages like, like eight, late eight and or not? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I don't know
1: how he just nailed that. Yeah. Oh. The age thing. Smart guy. You've been doing this a long time. Well,
0: I, well, I just sort of like, I was like, okay, at what age would that stop being terrifying?
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Well, I like, see, I think that um, kids really like to be scared. Right. And I just remember at that age. I liked being pushed right to the edge where I felt like I can't believe my parents are letting me do this. Right, right, right. Do they know? Yes. Right. Totally. Yeah. Meanwhile your parents yeah. are like having Chardonnay in the yeah, living they room <laughs> like <laughs> they, he's, they he's don't know they, they
0: don't know
1: they don't know something scares you to you come out of your room crying. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally right yeah so uh i was right. apparently scared by a lot then by the way were you? <laughs> yeah, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> everything just, everything scared me just coming out of the, the room measure, if coming out of the room crying <laughs> yeah. is the measure of fear
0: i well i felt that a lot i don't know because i grew up in um you know middle class upper middle class jewish household but i did feel like um like I was too sensitive, yeah. You know, I I don't know what that is. I you know, I guess my parents were okay, you know, but they were a little self-involved. Sure, I don't know what what you grew up in or what made you sensitive or whether you can track it. But it's not everybody's. And you had this brother who was just a an animal. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: well, you know, I think that you find out everyone you think has it put together has their own stuff you know what i mean
0: that's later yeah because you spend your life assuming like that guy's gotta he has it together
1: yeah well when you're 12 years old you're the center of your own world
0: yeah yeah what i mean and that world's gonna crumble if you if (laughs) if that's the world you've built for yourself
1: yeah i don't know what made me sensitive i think i've always felt things very acutely like why
0: i think that's why i feel like uh like that's what i feel from you when in, in your roles because i don't know you yeah but i always assumed like uh you know, that guy seems like a pretty sweet guy seems like uh things hit him pretty hard somehow
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i've cried a lot in in yeah. comedies i think i've cried more in comedies than maybe anyone. that's it yeah um but what was it what was the second thing you wrote the second thing i wrote was um, a movie called forgetting sarah marshall that was it so you wrote that when you were in your 20s yeah i was I was 24 when I wrote that. So that hung around for a while. No, I made that movie when I was 25. It's been that long? Yeah, I think it. I, well, seven years. So I might be off by a year, but something like that. Yeah, 25, 26. But by that point, you'd already acted in some Judd movies, right? Or no? I had done. Uh, I had done Knocked Up, and then I had started my TV show, How I Met Your Mother. Uh, so I, we can measure it that way, actually. The um, uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall was the second year of the TV show. Okay. So I was 26. God, did you have any idea that that TV show would go on as long as it did? No, I had I had no idea. My only experience had been failed TV shows. And the first three years or so, we were on the bubble and constantly on the verge of being canceled. And so then it just kept... It found its legs, like season four or five, and then we were just... We were going, man. You did like what, nine? Nine seasons, like 240 episodes or something like that. And that's like your, your made guy. Uh, it, well, I certainly had uh, a real safety net of knowing I had a great job.
0: Right. Yeah. And you can save some money. Yeah. And you're totally. gonna be all right. Yeah. Can get right. a house. Right, yeah. Live totally. a life.
1: The fear of not having gone to college went away.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So but it, it went away fairly quickly in a way. Not I mean within a decade is good. Because you don't want to be the decade down the line going, fuck. Yeah.
1: Sure. The three years though when i was 20 to 23 something like that really instilled this thing in me like we were talking about before where you better work your ass off
0: well there's panic. panic especially when when things don't work out totally like you know so i imagine after freaks and geeks you're going on auditions yeah and you're just like not getting shit
1: yeah no totally and there is a sense that it's insurmountable right Oh, yeah. And then you're beating up on yourself. I mean, what what were your parents saying during that time? Um, I didn't totally fill them in as to how scared I was, I don't think. But were they like, well, you can go to college? I think at one point that was brought up. One point? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you know what's really funny about my mentality at that point was, to me, the alternatives were I'm either going to make it as an actor and a writer or... I'm going to move back into my parents' house. Like the notion of get a regular job wasn't sort right. of in my. <laughs> you had no experience with it. There was had, no reason no. for you to know that. Absolutely. That's yeah. a weird thing about growing up
0: in a, in a house where, you know, I, what, your father was what? He's a lawyer. Oh, well, so, I mean, you must have had that somewhere in your head. Like, you know, you could be a lawyer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I did. I just, you know what? I, okay. What? I, here's the thing. I think that anyone who's a performer is uh, is a very unique personality type right? in that you believe somewhere that what you have to express artistically is worthy of people paying money for and being quiet and listening to. You felt that. I I felt like I had something to offer.
0: Early on. This is when you were 20.
1: Yeah. I felt like I could do something. I, I, I think you have to. You have a calling yeah you have a calling or you have something to say or you have a unique skill I think if you don't have that I don't know why you're doing it you're just getting beat up the whole time right you better have this feeling that you have something to offer and unfortunately there's a lot of people who feel that way and turn out to be wrong right and it's you know I guess that would be a delusion but yeah, I mean, well, there's some of that is necessary in this business. I think so. Yeah, a little bit. Too many people are trying to do it. I mean, people arrive by the busload from their town, yeah. to try to like make it. Well, now and also
0: it's become so diversified in that, like, if you have a, a an iPhone and, and you know, and you can post, the, like, there there is something now where I think that that delusion, you know, without any indication of uh, of ability, yeah. uh, can be nurtured forever. Yeah. It's sort of heartbreaking in some ways, but, but you can't begrudge anyone for trying because who the fuck knows, you know, but it is a little bit, it's, it's, I, I said it on stage the other night that, you, you know, when you do comedy and you see all the headshots of people that you don't know, yeah. like you, you don't reckon, you seen, you've seen that when you, when you go to a casting or something just see stacks of headshots of just people like, Hey, like me where it's
1: sort of, it, there's a pain to it. Oh you yeah. Know, well, know. when you're when you're auditioning too, there's this other totally demoralizing aspect of walking into this casting room with twenty other guys who look exactly like you. Yeah.
0: And, <laughs> and, you know, and, and the decision's not going to be made based on anything but like you know that guy looks right, or like yeah. I like the way he read that line, or it might not have anything to do with what you're really capable
1: of. Yeah, I, I lived in New York for a tiny bit during that period, and the three years. Um, yeah, yeah, around there when I was auditioning, and it was in August. Yeah. And it was like July. Yeah. So I would go to these auditions. I didn't have a car, obviously. And by the time I would arrive at the audition, I would just be drenched in sweat, (laughs) like looking like a monster. (laughs) And I remember thinking like this model is not going to (laughs) work. Yeah.
0: Well, how long did you live in New York?
1: Uh, I only lived in New York for like a few months, like four or five months. What was that about? Was that a failed
0: adventure? Or?
1: Yeah, well, I, I it was. I had met a girl ah, at that age yeah. and I went to go, I decided I was going to go try to live with her in her uh, apartment that had no uh, air conditioning mm-hmm. and it was like great in the spring and then by the time it hit summer, it was like a Tennessee Williams play. With the fan yeah. in the window? <laughs> yeah, just to... you hate each other yeah. and you're dripping with sweat. Oh yeah. Talking in a weird Southern accent for no reason. <laughs> yeah, and her dad shows up. The d- d-
0: disturbing relationship. Yeah, that's right. But uh, so that that
1: crumbled. Yeah, that crumbled. I came back to LA.
0: Ran back to LA. I did. Where the where the where the temperature is level. Yeah, it's just a little mm. more moderate for a guy my size, you know. <laughs> that that's the reason. Yeah. Mm. But uh but forgetting Sarah Marshall was big and I enjoyed that movie. I've watched it a couple times. Thanks. Yeah, I've seen a lot of your movies. I'm surprised that doesn't always happen.
1: Oh, that's good. That beats the alternative. <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Well, yeah, because sometimes you talk to people and it, it's interesting when people have like in and, and you're fairly young, but you've done a lot of stuff. But like sometimes I get musicians in here and like I like that one record when I was younger, and then you look them up and they're like they've done ninety records. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I have an interesting thing where like a few years ago, I really um, removed myself from like entertainment news or paying attention to what was current or this and that. Yeah. Because I realized that I felt better that way. Right. And so I I have that experience a lot where I meet somebody and I'm not I don't know what they do or right whatever. oh yeah it's nicer
0: sometimes i think so we can you can have, have talk a conversation. To them on a human level well what it really comes down to for me in this in this context which is not that much different because i don't you know i i can't pretend right is that uh yeah i find that you know if you're going to meet somebody in a professional situation if they did something amazing you should maybe you should know about it just out of respect right you, you know like you don't want to be talking to the guy that cured aids right sure and just be like so you got a dog yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. So all right, so after forgetting Sarah Marshall, yeah, where you were naked. And that was a that was a, what, what and I don't want to get hung up on that. Sure. But you don't see a lot of dicks on screen.
1: Yeah. W- was that a, a relatively sober decision or um it was a sober decision and not a sober filming process. Uh-huh. Yeah. What does that mean? I had to I had a drink to get the the courage <laughs> to walk out there. It was a really it was very uncomfortable. <laughs> scenario for everybody really yeah first of all there's like this um makeup woman this poor makeup woman who like has to do full body makeup on you which is a really humiliating experience and then they how did you feel
0: about you know were you confident in your your dick before that i mean were you like i'm okay this is not embarrassing
1: well i wanted it to be embarrassing okay i didn't want it to be sexy right i felt like that would be gross right right um i wanted it to feel very vulnerable right you know it doesn't get much more i mean in terms of like yeah well it's also during like a humiliating breakup scene right so right. it was like it's horrible yeah it's horrible <laughs> um and so i think <laughs> i think i wanted it to feel as uncomfortable as possible right i would sneak into the back of theaters to watch it and literally people like, um, we're disgusted. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, I haven't thought about this for a long time. So you don't see a lot of dicks. Yeah, totally. I mean, depending on the kind of movie you watch. Uh, right. But yeah. In a mainstream, in a mainstream, yeah. mainstream yeah. film. So there are these test screenings they mm-hmm. do for, um, for movies where they have like a, a bring in a test audience. Yeah. And, and then at the end, they have to answer questions. Right, right, right. So uh, I went to the back of the first test screen, the first movie I've ever written, the first movie I've been the main guy in, and they, uh, they, the movie goes great. Like People are laughing really hard. It plays as well as you could hope that it could play. Right, right. And I'm sitting in the back, and the Q&A starts, and there's this guy. He's like, so what did you think of the romantic storyline? Oh, it's great. Oh, Mila Kunis is so winning. You know, it's just everyone's saying the right things. And then they finish. They're like, all right, great. Well, thank you. Any final comments? And one guy. Yeah. Raises his hand and goes, "Yeah, is nobody going to talk about this guy's weird dick?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the one guy I had to ruin <laughs> had to ruin my thing. His weird dick. Yeah, test audiences always have that. We did a uh, test audience. With, what did he mean? Who knows? I don't know what he's used to. <laughs> did seeing. it make you look like look at your dick differently?
0: <laughs> like, yes. What is weird about my dick?
1: <laughs> at Muppets test screening, they showed it to a bunch of kids. Yeah. And had him fill out questionnaires at the end. My character's name was Gary. And uh, so the questionnaires, they framed one for me. Uh, like an eight-year-old kid. And they said, what did you like about the movie? And he wrote, Muppets are funny. Muppets sing songs. Yeah. What did you not like about the movie? Gary's face. <laughs> God. Yeah. And that kid, that's a guy who
0: grows up to be like, and no one's going to talk about his weird dick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, same guy. Yeah. Totally. So- Outside of the, the acting you took when you were a kid, did
1: you work with coaches and, and did you continue to, to, to train at all? No, I feel like uh, at that point I kind of felt more like on the job training and working with Judd felt like an apprenticeship in a lot of ways. But I was paying attention and I was watching, I was watching performances and f- feeling inspired by them. Like by who? Like you mean at home? Like because yeah. you said
0: when you were in your ambitious compulsive phase
1: that you were watching yeah. actors. I remember watching Edward Norton in Primal Fear when I was young. Whoa. Yeah, I was so I was like seventeen when that came out, right. or Something that's where he plays the murderer. Yeah, it's where it's his first Richard movie. Gere. Yeah, right. I remember thinking that's what I want to do. And Serious shit. Yeah, I just that's where I was at the time. And the Zoo Story is a drama. Yeah, and and then. I'm incredibly lucky. I met Judd and I got swept into a comedy world. Right. And I turned out to be good at it. And so you start doing what you're good at and what people are used to seeing you as. But I think all during this period, I was starting to develop an itch that I wanted to try to do stuff that was more honest. Well, the, the new movie definitely is.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we, we can move up to that. So, you, so all all through the comedies like what well, what is it about did you find because I mean I'm a comic and and you have a very unique comic timing that was what was interesting about about the way Judd sort of con- like saw it like let you guys evolve in Freaks and Geeks because there's a very unique comic timing to everybody but it is it is definitely comic but he let you guys find it he must have had a sense of it because you and Seth and you know even Martin, you know, though you all played it very real, but there was a certain natural comedy to
1: it. You know, they they did something that I've never heard of before. When they were casting Freaks and Geeks, yeah, they, they did like an international casting search uh-huh. for, ba- I mean, essentially for weird kids, right? You know, yeah, and they did casting sessions in small towns and. They went to Canada and went, you know, all these places besides just casting in L.A. And I think that they were, I think a lot of it is in the selection process and finding people. And those improv sessions, you're either going to be good at that or you're not. right? You know, you can't really fake it. Right. And so I, I think he, it's one of the things Judd is great at. If you, And Paul, if you watch their movies, they're just really good at finding people who um, can do that, who have a unique thing. Right. Well, yeah, and, and it, it, but
0: did you find that, because it seems like that Knocked Up comedically is very different than uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall or I Love You Man. Yeah. So, like, w- I, it's always a hard question to answer because you're not, I don't see that you've really been typecast in any way. You know, you're just, you find a certain a tone of a character that kind of locks into your sense of humor. I, I, how do you feel that out? Well, I appreciate
1: that. I think that in the I uh, I think that in the early part of my career like when I was writing Forgetting Sarah Marshall yeah. that was an attempt to uh be as uniquely my voice as I was capable of being.
0: Yeah, you're very vulnerable and also you're the underdog and you're you're you know uh emotionally
1: desperate in a way. Yeah, oh totally. Right. It's a, it's actually it's actually a very very honest movie and there's like a drama underlying that movie. That is a guy who um is t- Really lost, doesn't feel good about himself and um, drinking really heavily in that movie and like trying to um, find his own uh, inner strength, sort of. And then I, I felt like the best way to express that was through comedy. That's what I'm good at. And is that where you were at in your life? Yeah, I think I was. Um, I think it progressed more. I started feeling that way more as, as the years went on. As you got more successful. Yeah, I, I, a little bit in that I think, well, one, one thing that happens, I think, by nature of the business is that uh, you start to have opportunities to do what you have done well again and again and again. Yeah. And and I fell into that. and At the same time, to be um, easy on myself, I was doing How I Met Your Mother at the time. And so I was, you know, for nine years, I was filming a TV show during the year. Writing the script that I would do that summer and then filming a movie over the summer. And it was a real cycle where I don't think I took much time to stop and think about what I wanted. Yeah, that makes complete sense. You know what I mean? I was you're like, caught up. Yeah, you're caught up. And I, I had this vestigial fear that it could all go away. Really? Yeah. Like if I take a summer off, will they forget me in the movie world? Right. You know, that, that impulse was still in me. And so I think that, uh, and it's my own doing, but I think that I got caught up in a in a cycle of, okay, I found something that works. Let's just keep doing this, and
0: and also like being under contract and in having the gig in a TV show is that you know you've got to remain that character. And, and it's interesting mm. to me because this doesn't happen in my relationship with you as an actor. Is that because I didn't watch that TV show? You don't live there for me, right? Totally. And and I think that that ensemble was also big enough that and and the the show was sort of weird and it was its own thing. Yeah, that it doesn't seem like anybody. From that cast, not to me at least, is like, how's that guy going to do anything else other than that character?
1: Yeah. Because well, it seems like everyone did. You know, you find out you're, you're, there, there's a very tricky thing about self-perception when you're working in this business because it's very much based on perception. Mm-hmm. So how people see you is sort of how they're willing to cast you. Mm-hmm. And I think it starts to affect your, if you're not careful, starts to affect how you view yourself. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I think the nature of a TV show is that it's meant to be repetitive Mm -hmm. so that you can check in at every time. It's meant to be comfortable. You know, my character is like a loving, funny, schlubby husband. Right. There's not going to be like the surprise episode where you find out I'm a cheater. Right. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So you kind of fall into this thing. People, the viewers want that consistency. That's what they they love, those the characters. Yeah. And so you can't just make them a monster all of a sudden. No, no, And there's a, there's a lot of value to that. You know, as I've gained distance from the show, and I, I really like road tripping. Mm-hmm. Um And so, you know, you travel to small towns um, where people come up and they say, hey, you know, watching your TV show got me through Iraq or watching. It's amazing. Yeah. It's a really, really special thing. I think that while you're doing it and you're so artistically driven, you have this feeling of I should be I should be pushing the limits out there. Uh I found out there's like real value to, you know, a, a sitcom. Sure. No,
0: no, no. Like, you know, even with this in its own way, you know, people listen to, you know, me talk about my own struggles, whether it's a, uh, you know, uh, you know, recovery or or my own neurotic problems and my relationship problems It's like I get a lot of feet, like a lot of emails. And a lot of people like, you know, I go, you know you help me through a dark time. Yeah. And wh- why isn't that enough? You know, it's got to be. And it's a beautiful thing. I never anticipated that. And it's something when you're in your own loop. You're like, well, I just, I don't know if I'm doing a good job or if this is like a great job or if this is, but then all of a sudden you realize like you have no idea how you're affecting other people in a good way. Uh, that's right. And it's a beautiful thing. So, all right. I love you, man. I watched that movie. I saw that.
1: That's a fun one. It's a good movie. I've done a bunch of things with Rudd and uh, I feel like he, he and I just work well together. Our, our sense of humor is bounce off each other. Well, you're
0: really both well. kind of, you're kind of, you're soft guys.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you know, totally. Yeah, uh, we, we don't have a lot. We don't have a lot of machismo. Right, right. Yeah. So there's something about that. Although he's I, willing to get pretty vulnerable. Oh, totally. Yeah. He also got really buff for Ant Man. Did he? Oh, I, I haven't seen. He's jacked. Oh. He looks like a lightweight boxer. Oh, really? I yeah. gotta get that. I gotta get a trainer. Do you work out? Uh, you know what? I'm starting to now. Like, I'm I'm more fit than I've been, but my body is still like um, what a fit guy looked like in those ads from the '50s. <laughs> You know, where so like the weird broad yeah, chest, yeah, and like you're allowed to be a little yeah, pot bellied, yeah, right? Right, and you lift your chest up a lot, like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, like I look like I should squash nerds. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you're a big guy, yeah. Um, the,
0: the sort of like you moving into these smaller movies, like, um, with uh, like I saw Jeff who lives at home, oh, yeah. Duplasses, right? Yeah, totally, and that was a that was an interesting small movie, right? But I that did pretty that well,
1: yeah. I, I'm actually not sure how it did, but I know that, um. I felt like there was something really special about that movie. Um, there was because the character felt like it was—you know—it was a compromised
0: character and, and, and a, a character in a sort of emotional struggle yeah. that kind of ends up transcending and, and being the hero of the story. But that guy seemed very familiar.
1: Yeah, it, it's a guy. We know the we know the guy. Yeah. Like he, he yeah. feels like there's more to life and there's secrets around every corner. Yeah. And as a result, he lives in his basement. <laughs> right. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, It's yeah. that guy. Um but in that movie he turns out to be right. Yeah. And uh I watched um the end the end of
0: tour. Oh you did? I did. Yeah. Oh, cool. It was great. You were great. Thank you. It was uh this was the one you were hoping for? Yeah yeah how did it come about this movie to play David Foster Wallace you know
1: (laughs) okay well the first answer is I don't know what happens behind the uh, like the the walls of an agency sure but my experience was the script got sent to me and they it got sent to you yes it got sent to me and they asked if it's something that I felt like uh, I, I, I could do if I if I thought I could play that part And I read it and uh, I read it and I really did. Um, The themes of the movie just really resonated with me. It's a lot about what we're talking about outside of the comedy, about actually being the person. What happens when things are going as well as they possibly can and you still feel the same? Mm -hmm. you know this movie takes place over the last four days of the um it's about david foster wallace and uh it's the last four days of the infinite jest book tour this book was like called the voice of a generation he he wrote it for years and years it's a thousand plus pages it came out did as well as it could do and uh, he didn't feel better right
0: and in like, it's one of those books that is revered, that, yeah. that I have not read.
1: Yeah, that's most people's experience with it um, that but, I've met. Did you read it? Yeah, of course. Uh, but yeah. be- did
0: you read it before you no. got this
1: opportunity? No, absolutely not. And when I when I bought it at the bookstore, I bought it at like a little indie bookstore, and there was like a ghost world kind of girl behind the counter, mm-hmm. and I set Infinite Jest down, and she said, ugh, Infinite Jest. Every guy I've ever slept with has an unread copy on his bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you read that? Yeah, I did. I read it with, uh, with some guys who worked at the bookstore, actually. Um, what do you mean you read it with them? Um, we did a book club where we would each read. We would go off and we would read 100 pages. And then we would get together on Sundays and talk about what we had read.
0: And were you, and how far away were you from shooting?
1: About, I had four months. Okay. I had four months to get ready.
0: Uh huh. And well, this is sort of what we were talking about. You know, the character and forgetting Sarah Marshall, and and this seems to be like a a perfect sort of uh, synchronicity for you in the sense that you know through all these years of craving to do this deeper work as an actor, yeah. Uh, you know, you are given the opportunity, and comedically, you sort of dealt with um, you know some of the 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 issues you were dealing with, but this character, you know. How close to your experience was it?
1: It was, at, at this point in my life, it felt like kismet when we started shooting. Um, I had gotten sober. Um, you know, I got sober two and a half years ago. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm like a year and a half sober at that point, And my TV show was coming to an end. And I was at a real moment of what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a line in the uh, in the movie that is kind of verbatim um, what David Foster Wallace said during this interview, but he said, I have to face the reality now of being 34 years old alone in a room with a piece of paper. And that's really what I felt like at this point. Like my safety net was gone. Um, the fact that I had have a financial safety net didn't really apply to what... It, i felt
0: it doesn't does it no right of course not yeah
1: um well not of course not i, I suppose looking from outside of it you would think of course it does it, it it actually
0: makes it yeah for a lot of people are sort of like what are you complaining about but yeah. the truth of the matter is is that the sad thing when you're in that position is that you do have that and then you have these feelings and they're almost compounded they're like well, what the because then you're like what the fuck is wrong with me i can i can eat wherever i want and buy that car if i want to this is what the movie is dealing with, mm-hmm. in
1: my opinion. Yeah. I mean, what the movie is is um, it's basically a transcript of this interview that uh, a guy called David Lipsky did with David Foster Wallace, where Rolling Stone sent him out and spent the last four days of the book tour with him. And um, well, it's interesting because like the one thing I'm, I'm noticed about the movie in retrospect is like,
0: who who is this movie really about? Right. because like, it you know like there, you walk away from it and you're like, was that about Lipsky? Yeah. But then you sort of like you go to the other place
1: and, and it's equally about both of you, I think. Did you feel that? Yeah. I actually think that it is about a theme. Uh-huh. Um, that if you, if you um, treat yourself and listen to a speech that David Foster Wallace gave called This is Water. It was the Ken- Kenyan commencement yeah, speech. Yeah, I read that. Yeah. Yeah. It is uh, addressing the exact theme that we're talking about in this interview, which is if you are place- where do you place your value? And what is going to address this itch that we keep trying to scratch that's telling us we're not there, mm-hmm. that we're not enough? Mm-hmm. Um, if it's success, you'll never be successful enough. And if it's money, you'll never have enough money. Right. If it's talent, you'll never be adored enough. You have to find something else. And I just really related to that.
0: And at, that, and at the point in this movie, like you don't get the sense that he necessarily did,
1: Right. Yeah, I think that right when you catch him at this point, he is a man who is doing everything he can to feel normal. Um, it's I had access to the actual um, audio of these of these uh-huh. interviews, and he he refers to them at one point as mental gymnastics, that he is using every tool at his disposal to feel okay. Wow, because it's like it's such an intimate. St- you know,
0: movie. Yeah. And it, it's a, it's a little odd in, in, in that you feel that these are transcripts. Like, you know, you, cause of, you know, that, that the script is taken from real conversations. Yeah. And what I imagine the challenge to be, and this is a challenge that I think that just, you know, when you talk to writers in real life is that what I found myself doing is that, is, you know, this guy's a genius, mm-hmm. but now he's talking about pop tarts. Right. Right. So what do you bring to that as an actor? What do you well, you you saw the dialogue and and there are some meaty parts where he explains his emotions and his sensibility and the, the sort of tension between you know he sees this 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 guy who's completely insecure and and I know that Lipsky guy. Yeah. Do you I don't know, know him
1: personally? No, 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 oh. but but I know that of character course. because it it's it's us 5 years ago right. or however long right. it is for sure. you, you know. That's what I think is uh to me that's what the movie it, it, that's that was the lens I saw it through was a guy talking to himself on the on the beginning end of the tunnel uh-huh. so, Lipsky is looking up at David Foster Wallace saying God it must be great to be you you must feel great you must feel terrific what's it like to be so famous and David Foster Wallace looking back at him saying kid be careful what you wish for trust me if you get to where I am you're not going to feel better well, yeah well, and that's sad yeah, it's sad, but it's very real. And right. I actually think that I think that one of the reasons David Foster Wallace resonates with people is it is a man who had the vocabulary to express something that we feel and maybe are too scared to talk about openly or to which scared, is which the is, existential loneliness that persists. Yeah, which is that you're you're promised that <laughs> by our culture that if you achieve X, Y, or Z or obtain X, Y, or Z, or or watch this um, marathon of Real Housewives, that you're going to feel better. And it turns out that that's not true. And people are really operating under that assumption and get to the destination and find out that it's vacant. But, But... But it's rare that a
0: person can investigate that loneliness like he did. Like I think that you know, sadly, some people just percolate along with a with a a mild feeling of dissatisfaction or anxiety that they can't pinpoint. But he decided to explore the underpinnings of existence in relation to these expectations and the onslaught of of sensations Hmm.
1: available. Infinite Jest. um, When I read it, it's it's three pronged. There are basically three storylines that are interweaving One is about recovery in Boston. Um, one uh, about about a one is about um, this entertainment that has been uh, obtained by terrorists that is so entertaining that people who watch it, basically become zombified right this is a, like a dystopian future yeah and uh and the third is about a tennis camp which is achievement these young kids who are told like if you don't make it to the pros you're nothing that's right. the whole reason you're here my
0: brother went to that camp really yeah nick Bolateris. oh he my God. gosh is in florida okay he and he didn't my brother didn't make it
1: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well that's the thing most people don't so if the criteria of success is that if you don't make it, you're a failure, then a lot of people are walking around feeling shitty. You know what I mean? And sure. so
0: And just medicating that one way or the other. That's right. Because, or, or, or expressing their anger in weird ways.
1: Yeah, because all three of those are medicating, whether it's booze, whether it's just plopping yourself in front of the TV, or whether it's this intense pursuit of achievement, they're all ways to kind of push off, how do I actually feel?
0: Mm-hmm. So outside of reading the book, yeah,
1: like the, you know, this it's all made tragic and
0: relevant by the fact that David Foster Wallace killed himself. That's right and and that you know, you're looking at this movie that this this time capsule that and you can't help but like sort of what are the indicators? you know like and I imagine you as an actor, you know knowing you know, you know how he ended up years mm-hmm. later, you know th- this is part of that trajectory somehow,
1: right? Yeah, I, I mean, well, I don't know how you prepare. Well, you know, here's but- the thing. I well, here's what I thought to myself is that if I, if me five years ago saw me now, I would be unrecognizable. Why? Um, how much were you drinking? I was drinking quite a bit. I got to the point where I felt like uh, I was going to collapse under the weight of it. I felt very trapped. I felt like isolated. Do you mean?
0: Or by I f- the well, I
1: felt certainly isolated, um, and I also—I mean—I would just very simply wake up in the morning and say, "I'm not going to drink today," and Couldn't you know, it? by the midday, I was drinking.
0: Yeah. Oh, so you really you had it pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, so it, it was, wasn't a party.
1: No, did no, no. It, it, it was not a party. In did any it start way. as a party?
0: Or were you I always think my sort of, hunch
1: is it always starts as a party,
0: <laughs> right? No, yeah, no yeah. one's and like, and then all of a sudden, I'd like to meet. I'd like you to meet the monster. Yeah. I'll be had a good time at the party. Now you're working
1: for this guy. Yeah, no, exactly <laughs> right. And well, you've you've lost control, you right? Know? And I got really lucky in that I had a real moment of clarity where I said to myself, uh, "I want to be the best version of myself." Uh, I I just got really lucky that that happened was it a
0: dark day?
1: yeah it was a dark day I had like I had something bad happen I had not been drinking for a little while for months yeah and I decided you know what I'm gonna drink and so I uh, I didn't have uh, booze in the house for myself at this point I had a case of rose for guests right it was summertime yeah and uh, so I decided I'll have a glass of rose right One glass. Yeah. I don't even like rosé. Yeah. And so basically it turned into a weekend where by the end of it, I was surrounded by these empty bottles of rosé. And I thought to myself, this is not for pleasure. Right. I don't like rosé. Yeah. This is something else is going on. And there's no end to it. Yeah. There's just no end to it. You know what the thing is about for me that I realized Mm. about booze is that I am not going to win. Mm Mm-hmm. This (laughs) This is, <laughs> they're not going to no stop no making booze. <laughs> no I can't drink it all, <laughs> right? You know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, it's like fighting Mike Tyson, right? And I realized at that point the best <laughs> strategy for me is not to get in the ring.
0: Yeah, and it's weird that when you, when you're introduced to that craving thing, that's that's like that's the most fucked up thing about about having a drinking problem or a drug problem is like the idea that like, yeah, okay, I can stop. Yeah, and then he stopped for a little while. But then, like that day where you are like, "I am going to drink," like that thing that wakes up in you, where like that weird, like unquenchable kind of like, ugh. That when you when you meet that thing, you are like, "This is a fucking problem."
1: Yeah, and you know, the thing that you are not told because it, uh, you don't discuss this openly. You know what I mean? Right. But if if anyone out there is like uh, suffering. Right. Or, ha- or has these feelings i don't know how i'm gonna stop it once you say to yourself or just to somebody else i need help yeah it unfolds yeah it comes <laughs> yeah <laughs> it just, just it dozens unfolds. of people willing to help yeah totally yeah. yeah absolutely well good for you man
0: it's a it's a it's a great step and how about how about it when that that day where 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 you, you got enough uh, uh enough uh, sober time and and you realize like no i don't really want it anymore
1: yeah, it's a great day. I, oh man, <laughs> I I can tell you I can tell you a, a, what happened. So this is about two and a half years ago. Yeah, and you know you spend like the first month, two months thinking, what do I do now? Yeah, when you go, my, when
0: you stop drinking, well, just right, my my sure. activities. Yeah, gone. <laughs> yeah. And you were kind of like you were out in the world being drunk.
1: Yeah, well, I was I was good at it.
0: Well can I ask a, a like a, a personal question? Yeah, sure. Yeah, have, sure. I just want some validation on this. I heard I heard that, that you got into the habit yeah. of getting on stage and just saying, Is there any women that want to fuck me? And giving out your phone number. Is that
1: true? No. That's <laughs> That is a bastardization okay. of, a, of a great comedy bit. No, <laughs> what it was was I had written a song okay. uh, that I would open. Um, I opened a couple concerts with. I opened for Maroon Five, and I sang it once with um, with Glenn Hansard in the Swell okay. Season. Okay, um, that was actually a very funny song. So it was a, it was oh, very it was a nuanced. Oh, okay, it was a very nuanced version of that. Okay, okay, and the phone number was fake.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. It's so funny how like if I, how it finally got to me was like, yeah, he's just. Fucking he's he just going to,
1: for it. Yeah, he's just like putting out his phone yeah. number and just like, yeah, Hollywood, man. Well, that was sort of the desired effect, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you, so a month into yeah. not drinking, right. I uh, I was driving down the street. Mm-hmm. I was driving back from San Diego Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was like, I was listening to the oldie station. And all of a sudden I realized... I was singing along to uh, "Rock Around the Clock." Yeah, and I was like, "Whoa, I feel good. (laughs) I feel pretty happy." This is—I've seen this in movies where people sing in the car in a real happy mood. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and I—I've never looked back. Like it was the best decision I ever made for myself. It's great. Yeah, good for you. Thanks. You
0: seem clear. I can't imagine you all foggy, and you must have been kind of a like. uh, How would you describe yourself as a drunk? did people want to hang around you
1: yeah but you surround yourself with people who want to hang around that party guy. yeah 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 you know yeah yeah i was never that i was never a like party kind of yeah. guy right. i was more like uh how i pictured the rat pack to be oh, okay okay yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. all of these things are illusions that you're yeah. sort of fed from like, sure. movies and tv but i was more like that i remember one time being at the improv and i remember jonah came in with a
0: bunch of guys were you running with him no, I, I, no, I don't think so. Not at know. the time. Oh, okay. But you guys friends? Yeah. yeah, he's a great buddy. Well, you you, you guys both seem to have a, a light around you these days. Like when I talked to him, he was very sort of really you know, focused and upbeat. And I'd heard
1: some things that he could be a little difficult, but he was like such a sweetheart. Jonah and I have talked a lot about life stuff. You know, oh, yeah? there's very well, there's very few friends that you have who are around your age mm-hmm. who um, Jonah is doing amazingly. That right. two Academy Award nominations mm-hmm. and things. So, um. But where you can talk about feeling weird mm-hmm. about stuff that's going on mm-hmm. about success, you know, and there's celebrity. Yeah, there's I, I, ima- I can imagine it's a pretty uh, annoying thing to have your more successful friend say, boy, it's so true. frustrating being successful. So yeah, I have a relationship like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have a limited audience of people that you can be <laughs> you know, honest with about that.
0: That's so true. And you know, and it takes a, a a a big heart and a good friend to show up for that guy. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting thing because you know i have I have relationships with people, obviously, a lot. yeah, I'm I work out of my garage and and uh, you know, I have this show. So I have a lot of friends. who are big, you know, who're stars. And you know, I don't. I don't have many friends, but you know, uh, I, there are people in my life where I. And I just realized this recently that you know, I, I'm pretty close friends with a guy who's pretty big, and there's there's very few people he can really talk to in a way.
1: Yeah, well, you can talk about stuff that is common ground. Right, right. But to really express, people are all the same, right? Yeah. And. No matter how well you're doing, you are going to have feelings of not being enough. You're going to have feelings of um, dissatisfaction, uh-huh. and it's it's tough. I, I imagine to find people to talk about that with. If um, if basically you sound like you're whining,
0: or or yeah, or if you're seen as the guy that should have everything, yes, you have that's to have, right. you have to have real friends. Is, yeah, is basically what it is.
1: Yeah, well, it's codified like in myth from the beginning of time. Sure. This isn't. This is a universal feeling. The king feels the same way. You
0: know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who's going to feel bad for the king? Yeah, that's yeah, right. Fuck that guy. Yeah, exactly. He's the king.
1: <laughs> totally. <laughs> okay.
0: yeah.
1: So, well, that's a beautiful
0: sort of thing that, that this role, you know, comes to you where you can sort of
1: process these emotions through this guy. Well, I felt like sort of in the way that we're talking now, I felt like what the movie was was a real opportunity. um, it's, it's an extension to me of the themes of Infinite Jest, mm-hmm. of of this is water. Let's talk about this stuff. It, it is okay. Um, I feel like when you read Infinite Jest, there is like a distress beacon going out saying, does anyone else feel this way? It's okay. I feel this way. Sure. Do you guys? Right. And I watched the movie, um, and I feel like James Ponsold and Donald Margulies, the writer, did an amazing job of it could just be two smart guys talking and it would be such a boring movie but it it gets at these themes and that's what resonated with me
0: and and it's interesting the way it got to those themes was by essentially not making it just two smart guys talking because a lot of the conversations were about pussy yeah. and they were about you, you know food yeah and and you, you know what i mean going to like because that's what's really interesting about the movie cool. is those choices of when and where the deep smart shit comes out so it doesn't overrun the movie.
1: Yeah. Well, you want you need the audience to want to be in the back seat of that car. Mhm. Like you have to want to be on that road trip. It's a four-day road trip, and it could be exhausting if it wasn't fun. And you listen to the tapes. And honestly, like the the one that I like the most that doesn't make it into the movie is Hanson. Remember Hanson, the, the band? Adventure. Yeah, they came on the radio. And you hear David Foster Wallace for about three minutes dissect Hanson. Yeah. And you're hearing the smartest guy you know of his generation talk about Hanson. In a positive way? Yeah, just in a, a, you know, pop culture analyzing way. Yeah, yeah. And that to me is the fun of it. You get to hear some really, really beautiful insight in some really mundane things. And it's interesting because, you know, Eisenberg's very intense. Yeah. And I I don't
0: like for you to kind of, you know, hold character around that. What was it like working with him?
1: It was the most intimate experience I've ever had acting, (laughs) honestly. Uh Um, It's, there's, there's, Great supporting cast. Uh-huh. Um, but a lot of the movie is Jesse and I yeah, um, alone together. Had you worked with him before? No, I had never met him before. Because he's an, he's an intense character. He's intense. He is incredibly quick and funny. We were together in our first meeting, and someone asked me how I got started writing. And I said, uh, well, you know, I sort of had to create my own material. No one was uh, knocking down my door to play Captain America. Yeah. To which Jesse uh, just really quietly said, no, but you could probably play the captain of a weaker country. <laughs> so he's that yeah. smart now yeah. and quick. And he's also the most prepared actor that I've ever met. Really? Yeah. He's, I, I was just astounded at how, uh, ready and, and thoughtful he was about the script. And so we would, we were staying at the same motel, like a residence Inn, in the freezing cold And we would drive together... In Indiana? Where was it shot? Uh, It was shot in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh, Michigan, yeah. In the heart of winter. It was like negative 15 degrees or something. Um, And we would drive together in the morning to work and go over our scenes for the day. Then we would act all day together for like 15 hours. And it was interesting because it it paralleled the movie. We were acting with each other, but we were also acting against each other. Uh like. Each of us wanted to win the scene. Right. You know? Right. And then we would drive home and like unwind and talk about what we had, what the characters had talked about in the movie, Mm -hmm. get like a donut at two in the morning Mm -hmm. and, and then go to bed and get together in the morning and do it all over again. It was, it was the best. And did you feel like you now, now you're friends? Yeah. 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 He's a great friend. He's really (laughs) terrific. He also still makes fun of me. I I gained quite a bit of weight for the movie Mm -hmm. because we had pictures of David Foster Wallace during that period Mm -hmm. that I just tried to match. So I was like shoveling food into my mouth and, uh, Jesse loves uh, old time candy. Here's yeah. a little fun fact for you. And so i uh, I sent him a video like a month ago of an old- time candy shop, yeah. just going through showing the candy, and he sent me back a text, thinking that this would be, "Hey, buddy, I miss you." Hey. He sent me back a text that said, "Stop sending me video of your colonoscopy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a place down right here on York that, that sells all the old-time candy. Isn't it the best? Yeah, like,
0: they, you don't even think they make it anymore. Yeah, Galco's, totally. the they sell all these sodas from around the world. Yeah, it's the best. Well, so what do you take away? Like, obviously, this is, you know, about to be seen.
1: Yeah. What's your feelings? My feelings are I want to do more movies like this. hmm <laughs> You know? Yeah. I want to do... And you can. Yeah,
0: I think I can. Um, I think that's the weird maturity to... You know this transition you're in you know emotionally and and lifestyle wise but the fact that you have made y- you know this the amount of success you have and the freedom you have, I mean the only thing you're up against is is these expectations that might not even be yours that's right hmm.
1: well, it's an interesting thing because we filmed the movie uh you know a year and a few months ago now, a year and change mm-hmm. and so um. I have been living career wise a year ahead of the right, business. Right. So it's been a really interesting year of trying to be patient and have some faith in the movie. After you're done. So it's been out of your hands I've for a year. I've just been waiting. A year. And what have you been doing? I've been writing. I've yeah. been writing a lot. What um, are you working on? I'm writing uh, one of the new Lego movies. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I'm writing that. I'm writing my my books. Isn't that um, interesting, though? That like you know
0: these uh these like childhood passions or the things you know that you know the weird kind of turn of events that that drove you to a, to a Muppet movie. I imagine now like you're a go to guy for a whole different thing than you ever expected.
1: You know, I have a a part of me that hasn't changed yeah. that makes me I think like uniquely good for that stuff because I have um. I now have the skills of a professional writer, right? but there is, I have, I know like what satisfies me as a 12 year old kid. Oh, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, I know what I want to see. That yeah, yeah. part of me that's still 12. Right. So what, so you're, the premiere is tomorrow? The premiere is tonight. I'm going to go put on a suit after this and like just where's it? enjoy it. It's at the writer's guild in Beverly Hills. And who's going? Like, is Judd coming and, you know, friends or? Um, well, I, uh, I have my parents coming. Yeah. Um, and I have some friends coming. Uh-huh. And uh, I have a lovely girlfriend named Alexis. She's coming. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a really intimate movie and experience. And to watch it with people I care about is, is the best. So it's not really a public premiere. It's going to be an in-house thing? or No, I think it is public. Uh-huh. Um, but I invented people who are very, I invented, yeah. I invited people who are very close to me. Oh, it's okay to invent people that are close <laughs> I've done that, too. That ended a few years ago. <laughs> it's great talking to you, man. Yeah, you too. Thank you. See, that guy's a sweet guy. Nice
0: guy. Love that guy. Love talking to Jason Siegel. I think we can be friends. That's what I decided. I'm going to try to be friends with Jason Siegel. I'm going to try to be friends with Adam Goldberg. I think those are appropriate friends for me, don't you? Am I overstepping? Am I overstepping as the host of a show in my house? WTFPod.com slash calendar. Those dates are in September, early September, the uh, 2nd, 4th, and 5th. And there's stuff, other stuff there. I put all the artist names on all the posters. All the poster art there now has the artist names. I felt like a dick. I woke up in the middle of the night, and I'm like, why don't I put the artist names on there? What, what kind of bullshit is that? They're artists. They made this art. So they're on there now.